Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's federal law enforcement agency. I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello! Welcome back to True Crime Archives. Hi, everyone. Today's episode, I mentioned it in last week's episode, it's going to be a little different, kind of exciting. We've been really doing mostly genetic genealogy cases, right, Dad? Mm, yeah, it, it ended up that way. Not really yeah. sure how that happened, but it did. I think it's cool. I think it's an interesting thing. It's new. Mm-hmm. It's only a couple years old, so it's the more we go, there's going to be more cases, and it's it's an exciting advancement in DNA, so I think yes. it's cool. So we promised our listeners, okay, we'll do a little a little episode on how this works, how this happens, primarily because Maryland and then Montana mm-hmm. both passed laws about the genetic genealogy and support to law enforcement. And it's really, really interesting right. how their, their approach is. Because everybody, our listeners have heard me talk about it and my thoughts you know, I I always said, well, I don't know that you have the right to privacy because you run around spitting your DNA everywhere. Right. So let's we're going to take a look at it. We'll give you a little recap on what, what it is, and then I'll dissect the two laws. We'll peel back the onion. We're also going to reference quite a few episodes that we've already covered, like cases that we've already covered. So if you have or if you're new, if you're new here, hi, welcome. Please go back and listen to all of our episodes and you can catch up or you can start here and go back however you want to do it. But we're going to be referencing those cases. So if you're confused, please go back and listen. All right. Law enforcement uses DNA to solve cases in the following two ways. First, they have a suspect, a suspect identified. And second, they have no suspect identified. So how does that work? So they've, identified a suspect, somebody that they believe committed a crime, and they take their DNA. They they do a swab. It's called a buccal, buccal swab out of their mouth, and they compare that to evidence that was collected at the crime scene. In other words, uh, some some crime happened, and they've collected evidence, and some of that evidence is DNA. And all the evidence of that crime scene and witness interviews and other things have led them to the suspect. So now they take the DNA from the suspect and they get a profile and they compare it to the crime scene. And they place them at the crime scene. That mm-hmm. pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The other way is there's no suspect identified and there's DNA collected at the crime scene and they enter it into a database they preserve it and enter it into a database that is filled with suspects' DNA. It's called CODIS. This actually was designed in 1980, in the 80s, to store DNA profiles. Then in the 90s, states began to pass laws requiring offenders who were convicted to submit DNA. Currently, all 50 states and federal government requires it. So I can remember somewhere halfway through my career, I guess, we had to start taking taking dna oh that's cool so you like 
it was it was happening in real time for you. All right after you write after you read someone their rights, mm-hmm. and the funny thing is we didn't really like. This is part of the thing, right? Yeah. We, after you read someone their rights, and they either talk to you or they lawyer up. Well, there's a series of things that you're allowed to do. The courts say you're allowed to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's well, one of them. It, it, it's like fingerprints, photos. That's always been allowed to do. You don't need their permission to do that, and you don't need them to to have a lawyer that, that's present. That's administrative processing. Well, right? they get fingerprinted on the way into jail anyway, don't they? Sure. When you. But this is after sense. you you've read them their right. rights. Case law in 2013, Maryland versus King, said DNA is akin to fingerprint and photograph, and so you could take their you can take their DNA. So after we were done reading some of their rights and they either lawyered up or they decided to talk to us and we were done for the night, we went ahead and, and took their DNA along with their photo and fingerprints. And there was a swab inside. And there was a little packet you opened up and like, you followed the instructions. So we did that and just put it in the bag and, and sent it in, processed it in. So back up to the first way that they mm-hmm. use DNA. So they're at a crime scene and they collect DNA and they don't have a suspect at first. So now they put it into CODIS. But CODIS is known already For previous. For known bad known guys, bad guys right. right. So, so that's one of the ways they do it. People are already in right. the system. So people are already in okay. the system, right. So Okay, so that's two ways. That's was primar- the primary two ways that, that law enforcement um, used it. You obtain DNA by evidence collection, consent, or a warrant. Y- you know, you collect in it at the crime scene or you you ask somebody, hey, give you your hey, I, I want to take your mm-hmm. your DNA. We we did the case. The Princeton jogger was was that type of case. Do you remember they had the suspect? Or they they narrowed down to his car, and he was Hispanic male. They had they a profile, and, if he and they went and knocked on his yeah. door, and they said, hey, would you mind helping us rule you out and, and give consent? And he filled out the form. Remember, it was it wasn't right. Spanish and everything. Then there was there a language was a barrier. Yeah. yeah, there was a yeah. So that was that's that. one way they got. And then a search warrant. Everybody knows search warrant. That's probable cause. You believe the bad guy has done something, and you're gonna you're gonna go ahead and take it. Right. That's a judge giving you yeah. permission yeah. to take it, no matter what they say. They can't say no. Right. And pro- because you have to have probable cause. Probable right. cause is reason to believe that 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 person committed the, the crime. So and. By the way, a lot of people may not know probable cause is also based off of um, law enforcement's experience and knowledge as well. So they, they right. could have run 100 cases like this, and that that goes along. That's part of it. So DNA is advancing uh, scientifically through the years. You know, I, I think blood type profiles, mm-hmm. you, you know, we did phenotyping. Phenotyping, yep. yeah, that was the... We're going to talk, talk, mention that case in a, in a little bit. And now the the... Genetic genealogy. So it's and then the what type of DNA. I'm not going to get into that science. That's just way too much for me. That you yeah. need to go take a class for that. Yeah. So in 2018, DNA helped identify and convict the Golden State Killer who committed his killings between 1974 and 1986. Crazy. He was 75 when he was caught in 2018. The conviction of Joseph D'Angelo was the convergence of sort of the public and private sectors. Um, and now enter Jedmatch and Nanoparabon Labs. Did I say that right? Nanoparabon no. Labs, yeah. Uh, Par- Parabon Nanolabs? No, I think it's Nanoparabon Nano- okay. Labs. Listen, I've seen it both ways, so. <laughs> so 
we'll come back to them in, in a second, right? So this is this introduces the third way now that DNA is used to help solve solve crimes, genetic genealogy. And I have sort of some words written down here. I, I guess this would be like the official definition, which is the combination of DNA profiling and traditional genealogy methodology to infer family relationships. Do you want to give your sort of layman's term on how how this happen how this happens essentially what the geneticist does so what the geneticist does yeah just yeah. generally yeah and I've I've explained this in other other episodes too but essentially I mean you guys have all seen like ancestry you upload your DNA and they are able to put together your family tree so for this that's what a geneticist is doing she's sitting there and going through all of the DNA profiles and finding a match. And she's, you know, trained in science and knows how to look for how they match. But essentially they're building a family tree for that DNA profile that they have. And then they're going to eliminate that family tree down to like the closest. They want like an immediate family member, like a brother, a sister, a father, a child. They're, they're eliminating all those, that family tree down to the closest relative. And then when it comes to law enforcement, they're going to then look at that person and see how they relate to the case, right? Yes. So we're talking about law, we're talking about crimes and law enforcement cases. So that's what they're going to do with that family tree. It's essentially the same thing as when you are building your family tree on Ancestry, except mm-hmm. law enforcement is going to take that person and say, okay, here's a, a potential suspect. How do they relate to this case? Did they live in the area at the time? Did they know this person? And that's how they get their their suspect. That's how they get their person of interest. Right. It's it's called for lead purposes only. Well, mm-hmm. I have notes on this. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. So it's just for a lead. It's right. equivalent to an informant. Right. And then from there, they go test that person's right. DNA. They have to go collect it. Yeah. We're, we're, we're gonna, where do yeah. you see the laws? Where do you see what, what the difference in these two laws? Were? I'm excited. I live in Maryland. Mm. So that was Maryland <laughs> was the first state. I was like, you go Maryland. So genetic testing is commonplace now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People uh, do it. I've the 23 done it. and Me, yeah. that became super, super big well, back in like 15, 13 even. Mm, I, I don't re- recall. Yeah. That was but a big think, thing a while I think, ago. I think Ancestry has been around for a while, yeah. I think. So I've done it. Your mother has done it. I know. We know. were supposed to do it. I want to do it so bad. And so, and this is a good point. So Ancestry.com, 23andMe. There's another one, Family Tree DNA, but I think they're like mm-hmm. Jed, Jed Match. Mm-hmm. So the difference. And then the new one, the the one from last night, the Finders that we mentioned, mm, or last week. What was that called? Identifinders? Identifinders, Identifinders. Inter- International, Identifinders. yes. So there are more profile. Okay, so essentially there are more profiles outside of the CODIS database, right? right. So you have you have because the CODIS. Think about how many bad guys there are in the country, right? Mm-hmm. And all that DNA profile in in CODIS. And remember, CODIS is just known known bad guys, known people who have been arrested and in the yes. system. Now you enter all these. As I said, it's commonplace. There's all kinds of other profiles outside there. Through these private vendors, I'll, I'll use that term "private vendors" throughout the the discussion here today. Initially, GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA, for example, they provided DNA to the FBI, but subsequently amended their policy to give consumers the chance to elect to share their information with law enforcement. You know, and and I think we've mentioned this in the past. Ancestry opted out and does not support law enforcement. Mm-hmm. They said we're not. That's what we don't don't exist for. We exist mm-hmm. for uh, uh, 
genealogy and for people to Find track their, their family trees, mm-hmm. their family tree. You know, there's questionable or ethical stresses, if you will, with this. And two states have decided to enact laws uh, to put procedures in place uh, or, or restrictions, if you will, on law enforcement. Not necessarily restrictions, but um, the processes. It's Maryland and Montana. So to read more about the legal and ethical woes, go to the hastingcenter.org. Okay, that's a pretty good resource. You can go to mm-hmm. hastingcenter.org, and it's t- it would be hastingcenter.org, and the section will be law enforcement and genetic data. It has a lot of information. It has the, the two laws out there, and it has the Department of Justice policy. So before I peel back these two states, <laughs> the onion on these two states, let's talk about what the J- Department of Justice has said about this. So... You can go to the go to the um, Hastings Center, but also Department of Justice as well, and then search the case law uh, as well. That's really where you need to be to understand w- what's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, go, go ahead and listen to all our our episodes, right? And yeah, <laughs> and it'll it'll be exciting. We've talked. We've we've briefly mentioned the laws mm. in each episode too. So yes, let me talk about what the Department of Justice said. I have some notes here, so. It came out one November two thousand nineteen. So you know, shortly after the the Golden State Killer, that was the DOJ. Their like policies, mm-hmm, their policy, okay, right? It's called interim laws, policy, but it's still a policy. The laws right? were just put into place this year. Oh, oh correct, correct. Mm-hmm. This this came out because the the Department of Justice sort of comes up with policy and says, "Here you go, law enforcement." Right. This is mostly applicable to the federal law enforcement, but it 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 trickles down. That's what I thought. Police yeah. departments and counties and et cetera, they'll look upward for for guidance on this, because can you imagine? So in 2019, how many cases were already starting to look into this? They must have received tons and tons of calls, but it, currently, there's more than 60 cases that have been solved using mm-hmm. genetic genealogy since the Golden State Killer. Yep. So that's what, 60? Yeah, 60? as a family member, I would, if I'd seen that in the news, I absolutely would have been bugging the local department, being so like, are you going to use it? Can you use it? That's 20 a year. Yep. Almost two a month. That's that's wild, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. So, All right, so the DOJ said the purpose of their policy was to promote the reasoned exercise of investigative, scientific, and prosecutorial discretion in cases that involve forensic, genetic, genealogical, DNA analysis, and searching. Searching is a key term that they use because that's, that's what you're doing. You're essentially going to search databases, private databases, for information. Mm-hmm. you got to think about that, right? You're going to conduct a search. And in order to conduct a search, you need consent. You, right. need, a, you need a warrant, you know, things right. like that. So we're going to kind of peel this back and explore this. It does not control investigative, scientific, or prosecutorial activity. So there's no policy in the DOJ that says what you can and can't do in terms of investigative steps or leads. Mm-hmm. They, it, it talks about forensic genealogy is law enforcement's use of DNA analysis combined with traditional genealogy research to generate investigative leads for unsolved violent crimes. All right, I, investigative leads... You know, when you get a crime, when you get the allegation, uh, you start putting together your plan, 
and you come up with leads. It's kind of just an old school way of saying thing. Leads. Right. You list. Oh, I got to interview these witnesses. We got to collect this evidence. Oh, we got to send this evidence to the lab. Anything that you need to do is it's considered a lead. Now, what we're going to talk about here is is equivalent to a, like a confidential informant, right? You have a confidential informant mm-hmm. that you've vetted. You know that in the past they have, you know, past tests that that led you to believe that they're truthful, and they've they've helped you solve crimes. And so, a confidential informant will say, "Hey, I think I saw Hannah on the street corner selling drugs." So I'm the law enforcement officer. I go and I start just doing some record checks. Oh, I see Hannah has has some minor arrests for some drug usage. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me go see what she's doing. Maybe we do surveillance on Hannah. Oh, there's Hannah on the corner selling drugs. Now, we see that happening, so we go in and we make the arrest. Or we develop probable cause on our own to go make the arrest. Does that make sense? Yeah. How the informant came in? Yeah. That's you corroborated how, his story. Yeah, yes, you. yes. It's it's a lead. Right. It's, it's a lead. Now you have to go investigate put put investigate it and yep. put it together and come up with your own probable cause. You know, come up with your own evidence of the crime. This is the same thing, right? We want to know if anybody in, or we want to know if there's anybody that submitted their DNA to Jed Match or or what was the other one or Family Tree DNA for example if anybody that submitted their DNA is in relate is related to or maybe potentially the bad guy or related to I think is the key thing thing here to help us right. track to help us track because I don't think any of the the murderers that have been yeah. caught no, I don't think right. any of them have uploaded their DNA no that's we, we want to s- we want to search the system to see if the family members of a bad guy right. have loaded their DNA in the system mm-hmm. so we can track it back and try to identify mm-hmm. the bad guy so remember this is the confidential informant saying hey guess what here's Two people that match a DNA so they could be involved somehow. So now the law enforcement goes in and they search those two people and they find or the or the actually first the the, geneo, the geneticist will help them. Oh, right. they have a brother that was living here at the time of the murder and they have a rap sheet. Oh, that's a lead. Now you have to go track that down and, and kind of develop your own evidence. Is that is that too simplifying it? No, o- that makes o- sense. Okay. Except that the person who uploads their their dna you're calling them the confidential informant they don't know that they're being a confidential yeah, informant exactly. so that's where it's yeah. getting a little sticky yeah that's that's the premise of these these laws it's really protective interesting. it's really protective of uh, the third party we're going to talk about a third party mm-hmm. person in a second all right so that's it's for investigative leads information derived from the vendor is not and cannot be uploaded searched or retained in any codis dna index so you can't put it in codis Right. They're not criminals, They're not criminals technically, right. that we know of. Traditional genealogy research and other investigative work is needed to determine the true nature of any genetic association. So right. That's, so back to, you see so how it's... So just regular yeah, investigation. They need it's, to... It's a lead. It's talent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? They need so, to still work, show their work. They need to show their work. So let's look at it this way, because you were going to get into the big discussion, right? And, and this will probably generate some discussion with those that are interested. All right, confidential informant. How do they get information, right? What if a confidential informant says, hey, Hannah has records 
of her drug dealing on her computer. How does he know that? You're right. You have to go through all this, but now we have to get a warrant to go to go get that computer and search the computer. But we have to develop probable cause. We can't just go in and say. Now we might say we have a confidential informant who is credible because of X, Y, and Z. They say that Hannah has. You like how I made you a drug dealer? They say yeah, Hannah thanks. has records of drug sales on a computer, and we observed Hannah hanging out on the on the street corner dealing some some marijuana. Therefore, we think. We need to search for computer. Do you see what I'm saying? So how you it's all... You chose the one. <laughs> you chose marijuana, and that's mostly legal in yeah, most states right, right. now. But you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, I know what you're so saying. So I'm trying to illustrate for folks how, how this is similar, but you can't... And how it is it is relatively safe. You just can't jump right right to it. Right, right. You, know, you, you just still can't have go, to... And the DOJ is even saying that. Nope, traditional research yeah. and investigative work is needed to finalize it. And it's always better to have more more evidence behind you anyway yeah. like for when you go to trial you mm-hmm. want you'd rather have all this evidence yeah, stacked up it's, so it's better to do your work and, and, and this is what frustrates law enforcement because this is just another lead another way to get leads for them you know and you know what makes me angry csi that? the tv show mm-hmm. they it's mo- it's about the crime scene investigation yeah. and so they never yeah. show the trial or the arrest or anything mm-hmm. and i always tell brian i'm like that would yeah. not stick <laughs> and it makes me so mad so, a suspect shall not be arrested based solely on a genetic association generated by the vendor service. Okay. That, that yeah. was, we're solely still on, saying yeah, the yeah. same thing, right? We need more evidence. So, okay. So, that's sort of the limitations. Now, we got we have the, the criteria. Before you go reaching out to these vendors to GEDmatch, let's say, and get the geneticist, you have to have a putative perpetrator. Putative is the word that that they use and essentially that means you know it's somebody that they believed that to be the source of the dna the contributor of the dna essentially the bad guy all right we'll we'll come back to that in a minute we'll talk a little bit more i know i keep saying that but it'll, it'll all all unfold so you have to have a suspect right before you before you go and all code of searches must have failed so you have to okay so you got a suspect all, all CODIS searches have failed. It's just, it's just. Um, but it's the just, point of genetic yeah. genealogy is that you don't have a suspect. You have evidence, R- but right. you don't have a suspect. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me read what the putative perpetrator is. It's one or more criminal actors reasonably believed by investigators to be the source of or contributed to a forensic sample deposited during an incident during the commission of a crime. So we don't have a suspect. We have a DNA DNA profile. Oh, so that would count. Yeah, we have a DNA gotcha. profile, okay. right? So the profile is right. counting as the punitive yes. perpetrator. Okay, okay, I'm on board. So let's say you're in a restaurant and a crime happens at a table over in this corner over here. And we find, like, 12 feet away, we find a DNA profile at the bar. We can't go in and say, hey, we want to we wanna see who this profile belongs to. Right, because it wasn't at the right. crime scene. But now, obviously, a lot of the cases we do, some young young woman was murdered and she was sexually, sexually assaulted. And on her underwear or pants, we find a DNA profile, a male DNA profile. Okay, that's... that's that, okay, and yeah, I'm on board sexual assault. Okay. Yeah, that makes all right. sense. And then all CODIS, so then you search CODIS and, and all, all fails, CODIS yes. fails. You know, you probably have to do it two or three times, mm-hmm. maybe wait a month or something. However, however, years, whatever you, whatever your, whatever you, right, like. whatever your, right. 
So let's say it's a cold case. Usually in 2016 you, is yeah. when they... <laughs> let's say it's a cold case. You can't say, well, 20 years ago we ran through CODIS. No, you'd probably have to right. update it. Right. And you must have pursued all reasonable investigative leads. Right. Okay? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Fair enough. Now... We've seen in all of these cases yep. that they've done that, all of that. So you done we've done all that. So this is again this is just the OJ policy. Yeah, all of yeah. Their those are the key. Yeah. The, now the laws are gonna are gonna drill it down even more, but that's that's essentially mm-hmm. it, right? You have to have a suspect, yep. a suspect profile. You have to have uh, ruled everything out of CODIS and all other reasonable leads. Mm-hmm. That's the investigative sufficiency. You're sitting in a room with the cold case team and you're brainstorming. And you got nothing else on the whiteboard. There is absolutely nothing else you can do. And now you're ready. You said, hey, somebody says, hey, why don't we, we have a DNA profile. Why don't we do genetic genealogy? See, that kind of sucks, though, because like now, uh, just take one of these these towns. Pembroke is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. That was Virginia Hannon mm-hmm. that we talked about. They've solved that using genetic genealogy. Right. I feel like if I were them, I'd just be like, let's just start cranking them out. Correct. Let's yes. just start. Just going straight yep. to Jedmatch, straight there, and that's correct. But so, if they haven't run anything through Codis in like you know twenty years, they'd have to do that first. I'd want to go straight to genealogy. That's, that's why probably these laws are starting right. to come out, and that's why right. the DOJ put out a policy. So, so w- what's happening is, is kind of yeah, they're probably racking and stacking their their cases. Okay, so now they want to go collaborate with these private vendors. So now there's like, there's a little go. bit more criteria. So. They need to contact a designated official at the CODIS laboratory. The, uh, apparently, I mean, I uh, this is science, but the the designated lab official determines the candidates. Uh, the candidate forensic sample is from a single source contributor or is a deduced mixture. So they they get some science questions answered at the CODIS laboratory, and then they coordinate or they consult with the prosecutor. All right. So this is this is similar to probable cause and warrants, right? Is you this to, still the DOJ? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You know, you, you have to start talking with the prosecutor because it has to hold up in court eventually. Right. That, like I said. Now. That was my point. When you get ready to go do this and you get approval to do it and the prosecutor says, yeah, go for it. We, we like it. You've exhausted all the avenues. And then you reach out to the to the vendor. We're probably not even going to talk about how much this thing costs today, but you know now it costs some money because it's private vendors. So right, I mentioned briefly last week when we talked yeah. about Daniel Armand Trout, the private, yeah, the money, was, how, how much, much money? money. Yeah, yes. it, was, it was a lot. Yeah, takes a long time too. It's not like a, it's not a month or two or overnight process. And what happens a lot of times is you come up, you identify. What what they call is thir- what they call third parties. It's usually like siblings or offspring. Usually, it's like offspring, right? right? And and you you want to go in and say, hey, we, we're not looking at you as a suspect, but you're in the familial DNA line. We we'd like mm-hmm. to take your your DNA. Actually, am I saying that right? Why do they do that familial, again? Familial 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 DNA. Yeah, yeah. Why would they take the third party DNA again? Because they have to test it against the sample that they have. So they've ran. So the geneticist has come up with that family tree. 
But that DNA was already put in however many years ago, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the geneticist will give law enforcement the name of the closest known relative. Yeah. And they have to get a current DNA sample from that person. It's just like when you guys pick up DNA, you still have to test it to make sure it's the accurate DNA. Right. You're right. But so so they have to get the physical DNA from that person to test it against their sample. Because the DNA is put into the system, they can't test that against their sample. Oh, so it might come. They up, need something to test physically. They, so the geneticist, the geneticist might say, "We Here's have a name. They we have just give you names. We have somebody over here mm-hmm. that is the right age, and they were living in the right place, but we have their offspring over here, right? That has that that is still alive or is still around. You get the DNA. So okay, that's just to double check. Yeah. They're just checking their well, work. No, yeah, double check that that's the right. So that's third. DNA. That's third party, right? Because then and that's more. That's more probable cause, right? They test the, the sibling or the the, but the I guess offspring, I'm confused. and they say, yeah, that that sibling, that person matches our sample. So let's look into that person, the the you know their father. Yes. It okay. Is. So this is keys. An investigative agency must seek informed consent from third parties before collecting reference samples that will be used. You know, throughout the investigation, right? And it must be approved by by the prosecutor. Okay, so that's that's the key thing in the Department of Justice, uh, right? Uh, policy, and as you can see, at the federal government, it's sort of broad. It, it it identifies a few, a few key things. Yep, pretty easy. We're gonna kind of peel back the two laws, but we also. As we go, we're going to talk about some cases that 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 we did. I don't know. We'll just kind of throw them in there as as they go. You know, the for example, since we're talking about DNA, the oldest case where DNA was collected is that right? It was collected. Which what is that one? It is the very first case to ever be solved using DNA, and it was Colin Pitchfork, nineteen eighty six. It was the yes. very first time the law enforcement police, whoever, was able to use DNA. They were able to match his DNA that they mm-hmm. took and c- connect it, match it to the DNA found at the crime scene. Yeah, that's right. And, and it was convicted in England. And if you remember, just he should actually be released right now. He was he had, was yeah. granted parole. Back, we did his case, I think, back in like June. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to have been released. So right now, November, he should be out. So Sir Alec Jeffries was exploring DNA profiling, and he's he yep. sort of invented it, I guess. He yeah, he found he kind of founded, came up with the fingerprint tech science. All right, and then he was working with the DNA profiling. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that was the sort of the DOJ policy. Maryland House Bill two forty. Criminal Procedure, Forensic Genetic Genealogical DNA Analysis, Searching, Regulation, and Oversight. Mm. Montana House Bill 602, Consumer DNA Database Searches, Familial DNA Searches, Warrant Required. Mm. And one is about 20 pages long and one is about two pages long. Is the Maryland one two pages? No, that's like (gasps) 20 pages long. Really? Montana got straight to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Let's get to it. Here's an overview of the Maryland law. Let me pull it up make sure I have it in front of me. Essentially, in Maryland, mm-hmm. law enforcement has to certify to the court certain information we'll talk about and receive authorization to initiate 
searching the the vendors. So it's not talking court being just a judge or yeah, like a, judge, a jury a judge. And a judge. Yeah, you're probably a magistrate judge. Okay. Yeah, yes. The Maryland law also talks about licensing of labs that are used. Yes, I remember that. Yes. The, the first the episode we talked about, I, I wrote it down. It talks about third party consent in writing. This is big. Mm-hmm. This is huge in this in this in this mm-hmm. uh, law. They audit it too, the labs. And it also requires the vendor, upon conviction, to turn over records to law enforcement. Oh. Yeah, so... That's interesting. Right. So, again, this is all because you might have third-party evidence and, and such, and you and it, it doesn't want it, they don't want it to get lost anywhere. They want to bring it back in, into the law enforcement case, the criminal case. Does the third party have to consent to that or no at that point? Yeah, it's well they cons- they're consent up front. They're they're filling out informed consent. They're they know By everything. By just giving, yeah, their... we'll talk about it. They okay, okay. they they have to know everything. You have to tell them that there's, a, that there's a criminal case going on. They are not a suspect. And oh, from the police. Yeah, right. The, okay, right. okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. and okay. We'll, we'll talk some more. The, yes, cool. it's pretty pretty serious. Uh, a policy on retention and privacy that's not uncommon. Training. And lab best practices. Yep, I remember reading that too. And that genetic genealogists must have some sort of licensure. Yep, and the lab, uh, I don't know if you read it in there, but when I was reading it, it said that the lab had to be audited once a year mm-hmm. by those specific yeah, people. Yeah, that's typical uh, yeah. something like this. That should be happening anyway. You Actually, I looked up geneal- geneticist. Like, you can go to like Boston College has, has a course. I was looking it up. That's cool. Yeah. So this is on the article, Criminal Procedures, Title 17, Forensic genealogy if for you legal enthusiasts out there okay so here's essentially what it says dna may not be uh, or the search may not be initiated without judicial authorization and without certifying to court the case meets cri- uh, certain criteria so we're just saying authorization so we're not saying warrant not a signed warrant not or anything warrant but but it I'm sure it has to be documented. Well, yes, good. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because you can't go to court as yes. a, as a defense attorney. I'd be like, show me, show me the consent, show me, show me that. Just, I want to see just the paper. So, just so you know, search warrants. Most places you can get verbal, but really, right? It, it, but but the the best practice is all written. Yeah, and stuff. I want that so, documented. So here's the thing: the law enforcement has to certified by has to draft an affidavit. Mm-hmm. And they have to get approval of the prosecutor and then what they're certifying to the judge. Guess what you do with a warrant? Same thing. You fill out an affidavit, yeah. you get approval of the prosecutor, and you go to the judge and you swear to the judge that you have probable cause based right. on your knowledge, experience, training, and, and the facts of the case. Yeah, that's why I was confused when I was reading so about that. It's not, like, but that it's sounds not, like the same they, thing. It, it does, but it's not. It's just authorization. Mm. It's, it's just weird. authorization. Now... In the military, a search warrant is called a search authorization. <laughs> that's funny, but right, that's what it is. So it's very close. It's so it's also written in language that is sort of familiar to law mm-hmm. enforcement and prosecutors. Right. I wonder why they didn't just require a warrant then. Oh, I don't know. So not probable. Yeah. So not probable cause. Not probable cause. Rather, all criteria have been met. All right, mm-hmm. and it's gonna sort of mirror the DOJ policy a little bit. There's there's no DNA or, or there, there's a suspect. Uh, all leads have been exhausted. You know, a certain crime, et cetera. Right. 
No, the DOJ policy said. Yeah, it said uh, Maryland said right that it had to be like uh, aggravating circumstances, like it had to be a, a like a like a murder, sex, like sexual assault with uh, aggression. Right? It was like the the really bad crimes. Yes. So yeah. the let me go back up back up to the DOJ policy. Violent crime is what Violent they say, crimes, yes. and then there's a footnote. It says. Violent crime means any homicide or sex crime, including the homicide investigated investigation during which the vendor is used in an attempt to identify the remains of a suspected homicide victim. I, I don't know if I have it written down, but Marilyn talks about specifically what it is. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has I had to be a cold down. case. Let me see if I have yes. it here. Um, I, what, what case was it? I should have pulled that up before because I had it written down in the case that we and, did. And then, and then it has to be a biological sample. So mm-hmm. you swab the cheeks and the vendor has to notify the public that it supports law enforcement. Yes. I remember that. Yes. And as we mentioned, Jedmatch does. Yes. And the and it has to be a public mm-hmm. vendor, right? Yes. So here's another, here's another thing about it. It has to be public, public vendor. Back to the confidential informant, right? Confidential informant can, gu- come, up, can come up to you and say, oh, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to your our silly I'm little example. <laughs> You're a drug dealer, right? I am not, Hannah is not a, a drug confidential dealer. informant can hand me something that they printed off of your computer and say, I got this from Hannah's computer, it's evidence of her committing a crime. And we can take it. Oh. We can't I can't go to your computer and take it without a search right. warrant. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So Jedmatch can give us Right. The information. Okay, yes. We can't go get it with us. We're going to talk about Montana in a second, but so yes. Jed Match is the confidential informant. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. That's cool. All right. And then, Marilyn, uh, this is where it gets big. Consent of third party. And whoever provides this consent, this informed consent to the third party, they have to be trained. So I don't know if it's probably the law enforcement you know, uh, it could be it's somebody involved in the investigation has to be trained and they have to know how to inform the third party and they have to inform them. They have to know what to inform them, too. So and essentially they have to tell them there's been a crime committed maybe 50 years ago and we have a DNA profile and we don't have any more leads and you are not a suspect. They have to tell them you are not a suspect. You are not a suspect. Here's yeah, Marilyn. I, so it's full disclosure to the third party. You know what? Full I disclosure. like that because yeah. that could be traumatic. Yeah, yeah. So they have to be trained to know how to say the right mm-hmm. thing to this mm-hmm. family member. Yep. Also, Marilyn, that's some new training coming your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, it's going right. to be specific people. It's going to be like a. And they probably have like a form already. Course. That's they, cool. I, I'd love to go. We can like sign up to take uh, that training. I wish I thought to reach out to to Marilyn. They probably would have. Um, Giving me a copy of the consent form. It's that's nothing. Yeah. Do you think I could go to with like my lo- the local police department and see if sure ask some questions? Pro- probably. Yeah. <gasps> There's a police department literally like not even two minutes yeah. away from my house. So and they tell the third party you're not a suspect. So they have to. They have that's to, cool. Yeah. They 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 full disclosure yeah. to them and they because remember this could be their dad or yeah their uncle it could be or, traumatic. Or, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. I like that. I like that. That's that's a good part of it. Now. Here's so what's important about when when extensive legal speak verbiage and laws uh, transcend about 20 pages mm-hmm. 
what's important is also what it doesn't say, right? Right. So from here on, it talks about third party, right? And then it talks about how to collect from a third party if you want to do a covert collection. So in other words, law enforcement has decided that if we go to this third party to collect DNA, it could significantly damage the investigation, right? Well, guess what? If you're going to do that, you need to have to do an affidavit to the court, okay? Affidavit to the court, and you have to essentially do a proffer to the court on how you're going to collect it. So you're going to go tell the court, we don't want to go ask this person for consent, and here's how we're going to go collect the DNA, and then you have to report back to the court every 30 days of the progress, and you only have it for six months. That sounds awful lot like a warrant. Mm-hmm. It's 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 almost. In fact, I would argue that that's where they probably took the um, the precedent or took the template from, if you will. And by the way, convicts, people in jail, who think they were wrongfully convicted, can submit their DNA and do this whole thing under this whole law. Yes, I remember reading that. Angie Dodge, in Angie Dodge's case, they, uh, I just had his name. Tap was his last name. Yes. I'm scrolling through that note, but I can't find it. Tap was his last name. He was wrongfully convicted, Mm -hmm. and they were able to use genetic genealogy to get him out of prison and find the correct person. And I believe it was also, so it's Brian Drips is the murderer. Mm -hmm. His son, I believe that's why I was scrolling through my notes just now. I believe it was his son that was also stopped. You're talking about, that's that's the third party. They stopped him in a traffic as they Mm -hmm. were getting Brian Drips' DNA also. So that was what you were talking about. I was going to mention that. Right. So, 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 and then lab licensing, they talk about, so it kind of ends, it continues to go on talking about the, third party but what it doesn't say is if you don't have a third party as long as you've certified everything to the court at the beginning we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the angie dodge case in a second if you all don't right? have a third party you don't have no no so let's say you do everything at the beginning you certify okay codis you've checked codis basically get a warrant. all leads no and, know, the, just... and they say here's here's the guy here's one dna profile this is the guy that did it. You get that sometimes too. Oh yeah, they do come up right? with his name. Yeah, yeah, right, you're right, you're right. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. kind of confusing. You got to follow. Because they along. build the tree. You're right. You're right. Right. So they say here's, right. They do the genetic genetic searches and the familial searches, and they track track it backwards, and they actually end up with a person. Say, here's your bad guy. Right. Right. You don't need to do all this other hubbub. You just go straight. That's to your him. lead. That is your lead, and now you start doing the search so what was that case again following him typically are we talking about angie dodge yes now we're talking about now we're talking about your background investigation do you remember the department of justice said you you can't now you have to do traditional investigative right you have steps. to back it up so you go do a background check right and, and and you might start you might start learning something about the bad guy and you learn that they're the right age Right, because they're usually cold cases, and then you learn, oh my goodness, they they grew up in that area, they lived in that area, and then the police have to go somehow collect that DNA, and and they do it typically how Hannah, how do they go? Now they have to go collect DNA. So what do they do? 
Oh, they can do quite a few things, but they follow. They surveil. They surveil that person. Until they discard DNA somehow. Right. I I guess they do that to not spook them because then my thinking was they could also, couldn't you also just go up to them and say, hey, trying to eliminate you. But I guess that would spook them and maybe it they'd depends. say no. Would it depends it be on, right. It depends on additional background investigative techniques, right? As we talked about in the Princeton jogger case that we did, the bad guy was like one of four Hispanics that drove that particular car, and they didn't quite have a lot of information. So they said, hey, knock on the door, and they said, hey, we're doing this case. Would you be willing to consent to DNA and let us rule you out? So that, like, they have nothing else. So consent, rule you out. That, However, if they drill down, what was it? We had one case. Was it? Okay, go ahead. What? I sorry, I found I found what I was trying to reference. Uh, it was Jody Loomis, and okay. it was Terrence Miller who ended up. They they got to him through genetic genealogy, right. uh-huh. and they were still doing. They're waiting for it, like all of it, to come back. And as they're waiting, they're still investigating. Right. They go undercover to visit his ceramic shop that he owned with his wife in their home, and they noticed that he was keeping tabs on the genetic genealogy because mm-hmm. this is in two thousand nineteen twenty. Right. He was keeping tabs on the genetic genealogy. He had newspapers about all of the cases being solved. So that was their background investigation. Right. That was the Jerry Loomis case. I'm sorry. Go on. No, it's, and Angie George, you mentioned that, right? She was murdered in 1996, and in 2019, through genetic genealogy, they identified... Brian the, Drips. Brian Drips, who was the wrong guy, right? No, no, no. Brian Drips oh. is the murderer. Oh, the murderer, right. They they exonerated Tap. It was, I forget oh, his that's first right. name. Yeah. They exonerated him the year before, like yes. right before this. It was like a year apart. And, and, and that's right. So that kind of, that went a different route. So Angie Dodge's mom watched 25 hours of videos and said he's the interrogation not, he, yeah he's not the the guy go back and listen to that episode it's good he's he's not the guy oh did they even use genetic genealogy in this case yes 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 yeah. hold on i'm pulling up the notes right <laughs> okay christopher tap is his name okay and he was sentenced to 30 years to life genetic genealogy was not used to exonerate tap but he was able to get his sentence commuted and he entered into a plea. He was released because they, they ended up the plea Mm -hmm. commuted his sentence. Right. So he wasn't exonerated yet. And then they use genetic genealogy because now they know he's not the murderer. Right. So they then have to use genetic genealogy to to find the murderer. And at that point, tap is able to be exonerated. Okay. How did they collect? How did they end up collecting the DNA from Brian drip? They follow him, they surveil him, and they pick up a cigarette that he yeah. discarded. And this is the one that we were able to watch. There's an yes. episode, there's a couple TV shows on this case. And we saw, like, we were with them while they were okay. surveilling him. So they took a a, a known profile mm-hmm. and they en- enlisted the help of, of genetic genealogy and they come up with one individual. And again, so like the Maryland law, if this was in Maryland, they just certify that all those things exist and now they jump to it and they, they start doing a background investigation. They start developing their other, other leads and they, and they go to collect his uh, DNA and they did that through a cigarette. Another case, do you remember Darlene? They interrogated him. Yes. Of, of course. Yeah. That, <laughs> that was, goes that right. Was, yeah. Uh, right. So they collect the DNA and then they grab him and they, um, they interrogate him. Right. 
do you remember Darlene Crashock in 19, she was murdered in 1987 in Colorado? A- yes. And then, she was in the army. Right, she was in the army and then in 2019 the police by using genetic genealogy came across the suspect Michael White and they picked up a cup at a fast food. They did surveillance of him at a fast food. Now, this was a cool a cool case because this was a combination of army CID and then the I forget what police department Colorado it was it was CSPD cold case homicide unit so mm-hmm. Colorado Colorado Springs yeah, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Springs yes. Colorado Springs police because department. this person was the army so mm-hmm. army CID paid the money there. paid the money yes. for the genetic genealogy I think it was about $35,000 if I remember maybe in, in that episode we did I am looking through my notes, but please go back to that episode. That's a really good episode. Right. So, so Army CID said, hey, we'll pay for it in Colorado Springs Police Department. Can you go enlist the help of of the geneticist and, and put this case, to, case together? But nevertheless, again, as we're talking about Maryland's case, uh, Maryland's law, there's no third party. So they just they identified the person. They had a, a suspect DNA profile, and they sent it to to the lab and got the geneticist on there and they came up with Michael White. So they had to now put together, that's their lead, that's their confidential informant giving them the information and now they go ahead and surveil him and they picked up a cop that had his DNA and subsequently he was he was convicted. So He has not been convicted yet. Oh, not been convicted. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, have these. To, I'll have to Google it. I haven't checked in on White, but remember he was one of the ones that he actually had a trial date uh-huh. that was we were waiting on it because Colorado is backed up. I'll have to I'll update you guys okay. and Google it. But, but he had not been gone to trial yet. Do you understand kind of the point I was making? There's no third parties. So right. I, as yeah, long I as you certified right. it, you don't need to do anything else. You just go ahead and finish the investigation, finish the investigation. as if you had already already had now, that. Because you would do those things right, normally, right? right? Had you have that suspect. Exactly. Now, remember, Maryland law does say when you're done, when this person gets convicted, the vendor has mm-hmm. to turn over all DNA. And it's pro- you can get into it. You can read it. It's a little. There's a little bit more detail. The prosecutors may even say, "Okay, destroy all the DNA." Or I was ke- or say. Keep it. Tip- typically, in homicide cases, you don't destroy DNA. You keep it for the life of the of the right. case. But it, it's it, it's retained in the case in law enforcement, which is all secured. In other words, they don't want private vendors having all this third party stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's the key, the key thing. Interesting. So. All right, let's go to Montana. All right, Montana. What did we say was the... uh, I think I told you guys at the beginning. So House Bill 602, Montana. All right, this is very short. Essentially, a government entity may not obtain DNA search results from a consumer DNA database without a search warrant. So remember... They may not obtain DNA search results from a consumer DNA database. That means that's like a private vendor without a search warrant. Mm -hmm. That means you have to have probable cause. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that's going to work, to be honest with you. Right, because the probable cause is the family member or the DNA that you get through the genetic genealogy. You may not use familial DNA search results, right? Searches used by consumer databases using specialized 
software to detect potential candidates. That's the, the genealogy, essentially, right? So it's actually, it's two pages long, right? It's two pages long, the law. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand. So, okay, let's let's talk this out loud. So what I'm thinking is I hire a genealogist and I give them my DNA and I hire a genealogist to put together our family tree and come up or not my DNA. I'm sorry. I hire a genetic genealogist to put this profile mm-hmm. together. Oh, I guess that wouldn't work because I don't have the DNA that they have as evidence. So, if they so I was going to say I hire them, the family member. I hire mm-hmm. them. And whatever they come up with, I take it and I'm the Probably. That's one way I'm to do it. Yeah, yeah but like But you, I don't like, have the DNA. Like what's the what's the one we just did with the YouTuber? The YouTuber put together everything? He paid oh that that was last week's Daniel yeah. Armantrout, yes. the YouTuber. But I guess so. But how do they get the DNA? Because they have to match it, don't they? Law enforcement has to give or they just Okay, so I don't know. You you exhausted all your leads, you have a cold case, it's a homicide, let's say. And you have a, a suspect DNA profile, and it doesn't hit in CODIS, and you want to go search the genealogy stuff. You need probable cause that the person committed a crime would would be in, in that. Now, I can tell you. Probable cause now could be since 2018. So many people have uploaded. 60, oh. 60 yeah. you know, and it's, it's our experience so far. It's You know, you probably have the geneticist and you probably have, you know, some verbiage from the geneticist or the prosecutors. And, and you say, you know what I mean? So what's going to happen real quick, probably, Montana? They're going to come up with canned language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, in my experience so far, all my years in law enforcement since 2018... You know, et cetera, right. blah blah blah. You know, it's likely that we'll be able to find the the bad guy. It's going to be something like that. Hmm. So it's an extra step, and and it sounds like they have to think a little bit more before they go forward in in Montana. As a quick reminder, the case that set this off, set this law in motion, was the murder of Patricia Kalitsky and Lloyd Bogle, who was in the Air Force at the time in Montana. And this, their murder, uh, this was solved in, what did I say, 2000, this was just solved like this this year, 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the first genetic genealogy cold case in Montana. So okay. this was this was the case that set that law into motion. Just as a quick reminder. thought it was interesting. Why are you looking at me like that? No, that's cool. And so... Again, two pages. It's just saying, "Hey, you need you need a search warrant." They'll figure out. It might stall them for a while, but they'll yeah. figure out how to get probable cause. And because I mean, that makes sense. Like they're trying, they're just they're just trying to look out for the privacy of people. Yes. But and, yeah, and I don't I know was, how that's I was thinking work. about this. I was talking to an old friend, and I was thinking about this because you know how I feel. You know, you run around spitting your DNA everywhere. Yeah. But now I was thinking about this. How many crime scenes have I been on? Quite a few. How many times did I like lean in to collect evidence and mm-hmm. and maybe Your bump arm. my arm onto something, you know, and rub yeah. some dead skin off, or or maybe it was hot and I was sweating and it dripped some sweat on on something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'd like to think I was pretty careful. Hopefully. You know, how many situations exist like that where there's like DNA, 
of one of the cops yeah. and, and you know and all of a sudden my profile will come up somewhere hey we've we've connected you to a cold case yeah no no kidding i, I was, was there, there. Yeah. i was investigating it well do you remember one of the times that i was asking you questions so many years ago mm-hmm. before this podcast i had called you and asked i think it was in california because i think Liv and i were talking about mm-hmm. this because our hair just you know we have thick thick hair mm-hmm. our hair just falls just out, falls out right. and i had asked you has that happened what happens if my hair with some of the follicle with some of the dna falls out and a crime happens right there is that possible that i that they would collect that because you're collecting everything in a crime scene right and everything yep so well you're gonna have to answer for why your hair was in that at that crime scene but how crazy does that sound i have a lot of hair it just falls out everywhere yeah you're gonna have to answer for what the hell are you doing at a place where a crime was committed in the first place? If I'm just, you no, know, like if I'm just walking somewhere and my hair is just falling out, <laughs> that's that's a real thing. Me yeah, and Olivia both. Do you see what I'm saying? Why should why should right. you have to? You shouldn't have any expectation of privacy then in your DNA because it can just fall out anywhere. Now, right now, in that's, I guess the same as what can you get through open source searching on the internet versus what can you get in private databases you know what i mean yeah it's the same thing right police law enforcement do not have the right to come up and say hey i want to take your dna to have they don't but they have the right to walk behind you with a piece of tape picking up all your hair (laughs) follicles yeah you know yeah that makes sense yeah so interesting i suppose it's kind of like your trash right Mm -hmm. so police can't come into your house and search your trash without a warrant they can't even come into your front yard and grab the trash can. It's because it's not. It has to be on the street. Yeah, right? the curtilage. Or the it, sidewalk. It's called the curtilage, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not considered abandoned mm-hmm. until it's, it's out on the curtilage. So oh, I thought it was because it was pub. It was on public property and it, not it's, private. It's, it has to do with with when it is when is it considered being abandoned? Oh. And when it's on the curtil when it's put on the curb, ready for the trash. It's abandoned. Re- ready for the trash uh, dump. You know the truck. To, to pick mm-hmm, it up mm-hmm. and they'll go and grab it once you do that so it's i guess it's the same thing so i've seen a lot of like the investigation discovery shows where cops do that and they go dig through these tra- but the trash cans are literally right in front You'd of the house surprised. and i always wonder i'm like do people not like look out their windows like you know grammy looks mm-hmm. out her window every time she hears any slight yeah. noise well and i do too so i'm like do these they've are done these their people? background the police have done their background I know, and they know saying, when like, they're going to work and stuff Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. And they okay, they right, know their right. background. They know their pattern of life. That's true, that's true. And they know when they're going to work, you know, Cause that I would, kind of thing. I would suspect that those people would be like, mm, I'm going to go take my trash back in. Sorry, you can't have or it. Or maybe they have uh, two, one or two, however many equivalent trash cans, and they go replace them real quick, take those ones mm. and take them to another location, dump the trash out, and then go back and put them back, you <laughs> know? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's a lot. So, anyways, that's that's genetic genealogy. That's my take on those two laws and and where we're at. It's very sort of rudimentary, and from my experience and background. What is your opinion? How do you feel as law enforcement? How do you feel about these laws? Yeah, I'm not worried about them. I'm I'm not worried about them. They'll fi- they'll figure it out. It wouldn't stop you no. from pursuing genetic no, no, genealogy. No, 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 no. You just you get the lawyers involved and you figure out how to get a warrant. You know. Do you? Do you guys, as law enforcement, work specifically with lawyers as you're doing yeah, your yeah, investigation? Yes, you have to to make yes. sure you're getting everything. At some point, you have to present your case to the prosecutor. Right. You know, that's one third, two thirds of the way through. It, it depends because 
you and it's different levels. So I say the federal prosecutor, the U.S. Attorney's Office, assistant U.S. Attorney, and then locally it would be the district attorney, right? You know, and they make the decision to indict. Cor- well, right? not or to, bring charges to, or to bring charges, right, right. right? To open a case, right? Mm-hmm. A, a grand jury will indict. Oh, so right, right. they'll, but they'll be the ones that decide to impanel a grand jury now. But they're going to look at the evidence. They're going to look at where they're at, and they're going to decide: can we prosecute this case or not? And okay, I will open an investigation too. But this is the type of evidence we need. So you you're communicating with them for sure. You have to communicate with them for sure. Now, you know a lot of them, like the local DAs, they have thresholds. Hey, don't bring me a drug conviction unless you have three controlled buys that are, that are on video, right? You know, or something like that. And then you don't have to go bother them. You just bring them the evidence. But a, a big case like this. You're going to be talking to prosecutors, and you're probably going to, especially the way Department of Justice policy sort of lays it out, and then how Maryland talks about it in their in their case law. You already have had law. to do all your investigation. You know, yes, you're going to talk to the prosecutor and say, "Look, we think genetic genealogy is the way to go. Let's talk about this." And so you see that Maryland, you have to certify to the court that you've talked to that the prosecutor is on board and they approve. Right. That, right. Right. So that's and a warrant's essentially the same thing. Look, hey magistrate, I I certify that I have probable cause and my prosecutor agrees with me, concurs with me. That's what we used to do. So that's cool. Yeah, I, I, they'll they'll get they'll get it they'll get they'll get it figured out. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where this goes. This whole method, this process yep. of DNA, this advancement. I'm excited to see. And I'm I'm kind of excited now to see more states if they make if mm-hmm. more states make laws on this. How interesting that yeah, will we'll, be. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to go dig up some cases in Montana, see what happens too, see how this. So far, th- that's like out, I said, yeah. the, the the it was the Lovers Lane episode that so mm-hmm. far is the only one. I'll I'll keep I'll keep an eye on the Montana news for you. Yeah. All right, so you can go listen to the Angie Dodge case, the Darlene Crashaw case. The Pitchfork case, those are episodes we did early in the year. And you can hear, you know, Hannah and I talk about those. So other than that, that, that that's it. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all that yeah, information. Sure. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And if you enjoy these types of conversations, maybe we can find other topics and th- sprinkle them in here and there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that is the episode for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you are enjoying listening to us every week, please head over to Apple Podcasts. If you have access to Apple Podcasts, I forget to say that every time. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a, a review. Let us know what you're liking. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast. And we're also on Twitter at TC Archives Pod. And yeah, we have now, I think we're up to like 34 episodes. You can go listen Anywhere you get your podcast, subscribe to us, and you can binge all of our episodes right now. (laughs) And we'll be back next week. Later. Bye.